Welcome to He That Hath Ears, Listen Podcast. My name is Dave Krupa, a Christian and student of the Bible. Each episode, I will share lessons I learned from God's Word to help on the Christian journey in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time exploring the Bible with me today. Now, let's listen. Consider these two passages. 1 Peter 2 and 17 Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. And Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. As I read the Bible, respect and accountability seem to be fundamental principles with God. God tells us we are accountable for our actions. We make a decision, we live with the consequences. Respect and accountability. Respect is frequently lost in our society, in my humble opinion. In person, and especially online, opinion and sarcasm often rule. Talking down to someone or insulting one another seems to be the new norm. For adults and for kids, respect is often nowhere to be found. No longer does society at large use terms like sir and ma'am when speaking to a stranger. Addressing elders with terms of esteem is rare as well. And having respect for authority seems to have gone out of style a long time ago. Today's digital world has taken this to a new level with many opportunities to use our words online. It has become commonplace to sling opinions on a screen, whether on social media or while leaving a comment on a blog post. And unfortunately, sometimes these comments and thoughts aren't tucked in an envelope of respect. They are laced with cynicism, mockery, or disrespect. Why? Because it feels right. I was taught to hold a door open for a woman as a sign of respect. Yet I heard recently of a man who did just that, only to hear, I can open the door myself. However, Peter talks about respect. And it's not just respecting those in authority, like a police officer, a judge, the president, or the governor. He goes so far as to say that we are to respect all people, everyone. Does this mean the grumpy neighbors who constantly let their dog run around your yard and occasionally use it as an outhouse? Yes. What about the combative relative who never speaks respectfully to you? Again, yes. What about that difficult person at work whose personality and behavior get on your very last nerve? Yep, that one too. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father. 
and with it we curse men, who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? James chapter 3 verses 8 through 11 Consider what Jesus said about the tongue in our words in Matthew chapter 15 verses 17 through 19. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. We can learn to speak respectfully no matter the situation, by drawing on the power of the Holy Spirit to temper our tongues and help us weigh our words, we can speak in a polite tone. Now this doesn't mean we don't want to speak the truth. On the contrary, it just means we need to verbalize it in an honorable way. We can reflect the love of Jesus when we engage in conversations with a calm, collected, and civil tone. The mind of the wise makes their speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to their lips. Proverbs chapter 16 and 23. What about accountability? Turn your Bibles with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. We'll pick up our story here at verse 14. Moreover, Isaiah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, and sling stones. In Jerusalem, he made engines of war invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners for the purpose of shooting arrows and great stones. Hence his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Then Azariah the priest entered after him, and with him eighty priests of the Lord, valiant men. They opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priest the sons of Aaron who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and will have no honor from the Lord God. But Isaiah, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. And while he was enraged with the priest, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord, beside the altar of incense. Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead. And they hurried him out of there, and he himself also hastened to get out because the Lord had smitten him. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house, being a leper, 
for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Isaiah, first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, has written. So Isaiah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the grave which belonged to the kings. For they said, He is a leper. And Jotham his son became king in his place. Here's this great young king that seems to be doing all the right things and is having success. In fact, so much success that his fame spread far and wide. But when he became so strong, he became proud. And that prideful behavior caused him to act corruptly. He obviously knew what the law said, that incense was only to be burned by the sons of Aaron, the priests. But he chose to do it himself. Chose to do a good thing, if you think about it. His intent was good. He wanted to burn incense before God. But the impact of what he did was breaking the law. And God held him accountable right then and there. And so here was this strong king that now was reduced to being isolated because of being held accountable for his actions. Compare that to the state of things today. It doesn't take much to scan the headlines to realize that accountability seems to be something that we talk about, but we don't do. Consider our leaders. Consider our courts that have allowed same-sex marriage. Consider the shootings, drug addiction. Consider the fact that God is not allowed to be in our public schools. Why? It feels right. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about the day of judgment and at how the king will separate his followers to the left side and to the right side as one separates sheep and goats. And he will say to the people that are separated as sheep to enter in the joy of heaven. But those that are separated as goats will endure everlasting punishment. They will be held accountable for their deeds. And if you notice in chapter 25 of Matthew, these people seem to have good intent. They were asked, when were you hungry and we didn't feed you? When were you naked and we didn't clothe you? Yet the impact was not doing God's will. The sheep in this illustration represents those people who did the will of God. The goats represent the people that did what they felt was right. Unfortunately, 
I believe we've become a nation of goats. But it always wasn't this way. Consider this very popular speech. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty, and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are enraged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation, or any nation so conceived and so dedicated, can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that the nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But, in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we are highly resolved that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people by the people, for the people, shall not perish from earth. Consider what Lincoln was saying in this simple speech. He said that all men were created equal. And he ended this speech that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. We don't hear leaders talking like that anymore. That God created all men equal. That the nation is being blessed by God. That the foundations and principles found in God's law are the same foundation of principles that we should have in our society. What happened? Turn your Bibles to Revelations chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds, and your toil, and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. 
Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you and remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Jesus is telling John to write this message to the church of Ephesus. And Jesus says that he knows what they have done. And notice, they've done a lot of good things. They've toiled, they've worked, they persevered. They can't tolerate evil men. And if you were in Ephesus at the time, there was a lot of evil men around. He even goes on to say, you've put those people who call themselves apostles to the test. And you found them to be false and you didn't listen to them. You have perseverance. You've endured and you kept the going for my name's sake. You've not grown tired or weary. That's a lot of good stuff. But he says, I have this against you. That you have left your first love. In the book of Romans, we read that the Romans thought that they were so superior to everyone else. Yet Paul points out in chapter 1, they can't even realize there's a creator by simply observing nature. What does history tell us of nations that have turned from God, that have left their first love? Consider Sodom or Gomorrah. How about Babylon, Edom, Canaan? Rome, Greece. It seems that these empires grew to be empires, but didn't endure. Why? Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. So in this age of not having respect, and lack of accountability, what are we, God's people, to do? What did he tell the church at Ephesus to do? Revelations chapter 2 verse 5 says, Therefore remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first. Remember, and do the stuff you did at first. What is the stuff that we probably did at first? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What do we need to do? We need to remember where we came from. We need to have the attitude and the mindset that Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes. Realize that we can't save ourselves, only Christ can. Realize that we need to be gentle. We need to hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, for his principles and his laws and his statutes. We need to show mercy and be pure in heart and be a peacemaker. And when people talk badly about us, call us names or lunatics, that's okay. Our reward in heaven is great. Those are the deeds we did at first, and those are the deeds we need to continue to do, even today, even though it may not feel right to the rest of the world. Thanks for listening. W. Clement Stone wrote, That which you share multiplies, that which you withhold diminishes. If you found this podcast enjoyable, share the link with someone you care about.